Speaking of getting tipsy, uh, we have to apologize right off the bat here. And I, I know, Michael, you're, you're not keen on me disclosing this, but I feel like it's important for us to be honest with our listeners. Ugh. And I, to me, this is in part uh, not just purely based on your talk of all of your tap and kegs last week, but purely based on the fact that I want to be your character witness here. I want to represent you to the general public. Oh, why? So, um... <laughs> To, to help commemorate his relocation to a new state and his wonderful new opportunities, Michael, uh, you know, ha- had a little night on the town and engaged in some adult exploits like you do. And I'm, I'm going to say uh, we, we do have to mention that uh, the story ends with my favorite phrase, officer, the cuffs are hurting me. But here's the thing. Michael did overindulge. But... He attempted to temper himself. He really, I feel like, did attempted to do the right thing. So he was he was very, very inebriated. And he's like, he left his car at the bar, and he elected to take the bus. I, I mean, that's fine. The only problem was, apparently, he was too fucking drunk to drive that, too. So then the cops get involved. The whole thing was just a problem. And so we're, we're sorry. But he's getting better. He's trying to make better decisions. You know, when you tell them that you want to reenact the the scene from from Speed, when he's jumping over the unfinished overpass, they don't take it. They don't. They don't accept no. that you're trying to live your lifelong dream. And I'm like, it's on my bucket list. As I'm like being thrown to the ground and handcuffed seven different ways to Sunday, they just didn't care. They don't and care about your dreams. They don't. And furthermore, how many opportunities do you get? particularly in the land of enchantment, to actually find a bus with Sandra Bullock on it. I mean, it, it's just uncanny. Yeah, especially out here. They don't even have overpasses. I had to make exactly. my own. <laughs> out of all those That's cardboard boxes and bee spit. Oh, yeah. That is Crazy. a lot of prep work for this scene here. Oof. And then we didn't let you finish? I know. Furthermore, oh. I duct taped my hand together so that I could look like it was a nub. And then I was reading the Dennis Hopper lines from the phone so that, you know, we could really feel like we were in the in the moment. We were in the, the full spirit of the thing. Still, didn't yeah. impress the police. Nope. So they are, they are hard asses <laughs> out here. Absolutely just fun suckers. I prefer old Mexico. I'm just going to go on the record about that. So <laughs> suck on that whole sound. Definitely have, better tacos. I have called the state Mexico Junior because someone's like, there's no such thing as old Mexico. Why is this new Mexico? I'm like, well, I like to think of it as Mexico Junior. Because they were making a point like you have like New York and York as opposed to old York. And I'm like, that's Mexico Junior. Mexico 2.0, if you will. <sighs> What are these guys like, you know, riding over on the boats with Cortez that they claim there's no old Mexico? <laughs> yeah. There is never no Mexico. It was just Azteca. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. All right. Well, in, in the uh, famed words of Beyonce, as I said, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. And by the eternal, behold, behold. it is the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. And I'm Michael. And I'm Michael. Oh, you nicely done. Yeah. Well done. Changing it yeah. up. But I didn't want I'm to so communicate that. I, I wanted to be completely off the cuff. Well, you definitely threw me off. Now I feel like I, I should revert to Doc or something, because now it's now that it's not in unison, who knows which Michael is which? Oh, the Dawkins, yes. <laughs> and I'm the Doc Martins? The Doc Mikins? I don't know. You're the Space Doc, I think, ah. but uh, entirely different context. Spaced out Doc. So, 
For those of you who are completely blissfully unaware or unfamiliar with the show at large, uh, what we typically do here is we like to delve into random esoterica, and in the course of explaining it, we lie about it. That is the shtick. It's an awful lot of fun for all involved parties, for the most part. Uh, you know, the police might still have objections, but who cares? Uh, but of course, at the end of the episode, we have a little denouement. We explained what we lied about and why, so that you lovely folks do not leave disinformed. Now, for the co-hosts, I mean, some of our ignorance can't be cured. I am 100% Almost ignorant. all. <laughs> On schedule. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I have greatly enjoyed, as we're watching, like, Forged in Fire, some of the accents uh, really start to kind of stagger me. And that was a gentleman who uh, said that he was keeping things on a, on a schedule. And I was, I was like, schedule? Okay. Sounds oh, like a self-storage man. unit, like in lower Alabama, you know, shed-you. I'm on the schedule. <laughs> Come on down to the schedule. We oh, get man. you in for four ninety nine a month. You can store all the, the dead critters you, you want. Mm-hmm. I got me four alligators and five coons stuck up in my shed, you. <laughs> and they charge rent. I charge them rent. And why not? They did, but I don't care. I still get to pick fleas off them. Mm. That's like interest. Tasty, tasty fleas. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, all right. I'm I'm obviously a little loopy. I've had an injection, so I, I'm not going to be able to explain myself uh, mm. for the bulk of this experience, but we'll, we'll do what we can. The microchips. Uh, Yes, I'm getting like 7G right now, oh, which is man. really fantastic. Ooh, the You're future is now. I am officially a part of the G unit, so it's uh, it's been a real blast. <laughs> Enjoyed it immensely. I was in fact in the club. I was not getting tipsy though, unlike Michael. So, uh, as we discovered last week, there was an addendum to the original discussions, and I have to use plural because we only had like seven of them, <laughs> about the satanic panic. And uh, that addendum continues because uh, I am nothing if not a fuck which is lo- long-winded, and so I'm just going to keep chatting about this for as long as y'all will have me. And I'm I'm thinking for my approach this week, I'm, I'm keeping shorter uh, scripts, more episodes. We'll, we'll, I, I will adhere to the doc school of thought here and, and try to make sure that we just spread this thing out a little more. Stop, stop. I, I can only get I so erect. It. I love it when you spread them for me, Shane. Mm. That's what I've heard. Oof. But uh, it's okay. Saucy. And spicy. <laughs> I will say, well. New Mexico does not fuck around with their spice. <laughs> or their hemorrhoids, apparently, if that's what we were reporting at for <laughs> saucy and spicy. It, yeah. Preparation okay. age, top seller, top export. Yeah, got me that glorious donut that I'm rocking right now, but in any event. <laughs> uh, so, as we discussed previously, uh, while Michael may have looked at some of the the prior sort of, um, what would we call it, satanic molestation. Uh, <laughs> Ritual abuse. <laughs> All right. Well, you say tomato, I say call the cops. But uh, yes, the satanic ritual abuse, in addition to some of the offshoots of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons being a scapegoat, we're exploring some of the other permutations of the panic as we found them. Uh, And in particular, last week, we talked about connectivity between serial killers and satanic cabals, at least uh, according to, you know, some random author who just enjoyed making up more Mansons. Uh, Manson 2, Manson 4, 
Mm, uh, I like Manson Six, Manson in Space. It's <gasps> uh, just a fantastic Ooh, time. Yes. That, is, that is my favorite. That is my favorite. Though I do Indeed. like uh, Mason or Manson Five into Hood. That's probably my well, second favorite. You know, the green suit and the little hat was delightful for him, but it was a good recreation. Those, you know, I agree. All the swastika pot stickers were a little too hard to swallow, unfortunately. They were but, very dry, just very dry. I, I agree. Hard to chew. Mm-hmm. Serve them with sauce. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when you throw a baby in a microwave, what are you going to do? So, Mm, we're going to move on now. You're making the microwave noise. You're like, "Mm." (laughs) mmm. He's just picturing it right now. Humming. Oh, they're ready. (laughs) I I treat my baby cookery as though it's like popping popcorn. You know, you wait until the, you know, crackling has calmed down. At least a second between the pops. Yeah. Honestly, yes. though, you don't really want to microwave a baby. You want to slow cook it. You know, three fifty, six to eight hours. Basting, yes. Yeah, a little. It's gonna come em- out a little charred husk. Pe- you gotta no. do it like two hundred. No, you put it. Oh, you clearly have never made a baby before. <laughs> Yipes! <laughs> Can't say that I have. You're right. World's first virgin birth. You're yeah, right. You anyway. got me. Okay. my God again. I shouldn't have opened this crypt. I, I knew I should have just left it sealed. Continue but speaking, your tale. Speaking of crafting uh, or cracking open crypts, which that's oh. alliterative, and uh, crafting beers and cracking open crypts. That will be the next subheading, maybe. So uh, we did throw in a little brief synopsis for last week here, but I'll say we discussed the rise of the satanic panic in the U.S., its connectivity to the rise of serial and spree killers in the American zeitgeist, at the very least, in the 60s and 70s. There is, however, an important aspect of the situation that I think we glossed over last week in attributing these activities to the work of devil worshippers, in that we were also at the precipice of implementing modern methods of identification and treatment of mental illness, which, of course, harkens back to the therapeutic aspects of Michelle Remembers, etc., But uh, this is also why the reversion therapy utilized in the Michelle Smith treatment seems so slapdash and somewhat manipulative by today's standards. True. So, for a little context, psychoanalysis only became the dominant psychogenic treatment for mental illness during the first half of the 20th century, which is glorious to think of, Mm, which, of course, provides... Easy. Vagina dentatum. Uh, Providing the launching pad for more than 400 different schools of psychotherapy found today. Most of these schools cluster are... Yes. That's so many. I will also clarify off the top here, we have six lies once we Uh. get into the episode. Uh, None of them will be involving lists or numbers... I swear. Bullshit. That's the first lie. Nope. I will scouts honor you. By the moon and the stars up above? Nope. He doesn't swear by that. Not anymore. Boys and mans. Uh, so I, I will try to keep it above board here. I will return to my more gentlemanly line. But uh, So most of these schools cluster around broader behavioral, cognitive, cognitive behavioral, psychodynamic, and client-centered approaches to psychotherapy applied in individual, marital, family, or group formats. Because the <laughs> group therapy is always the most therapeutic, I find. Ooh. I like the squint that you gave me. Thank you. I almost was like, didn't that cover most? Like, what would group therapy cover that hasn't wasn't covered in C previous list? Like, I believe it. Group but therapy. I... <laughs> I mean, hence why it's added into the list. We want like to try to be complete stuff. I mean, that oh, wouldn't fall oh, under marital. Uh, okay, or that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Well, that's... 
You apparently have not watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but why am I shocked? I mean, I, there's like seven movies you've seen. I've watched Nur- uh, Nurse Ratched, which was a, a Netflix <sighs> show based, or I think it was Netflix, that My was brain. like a prequel leading up to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's so, Nest. That so. was good, but how did you not see the actual One Flew Over the because Cuckoo's Nest? Because I'm uncultured. Nest? No, but I mean, like, just seeing Nurse Ratched, wouldn't that have inspired you to go check out, you know, the the classic? I am an uninspired person. You're ah, like fair. sour cream, <laughs> uncultured, and best left in the refrigerator. Bland as, well, actually, sour cream does have good flavor. Uh, yeah, particularly, the kachik I just got is like a, a picante <gasps> sour Ooh. cream, which is delightful. Very well done. Uh, in any event. To contrast some of these other therapeutic concepts, the leading somatogenic treatment for mental illness can be found in the establishment of the first psychotropic medications in the mid-20th century. Mushrooms. Restraints. Well, that's psychedelic. (laughs) Electroconvulsive (laughs) shock therapy, which we do love, and our personal favorites, lobotomies. Continued to be employed in the American state institutions until the 1970s. That I do believe, uh, but also I, everyone else is like, oh, yeah, I'll take a psychedelic, give me a shroom. And meanwhile, Doc's over here like, I'll microdose some electroshock therapy. Why not? That's why he was <laughs> doing all those presentations for elder care. He like licks the tip of a fork and sticks it into a, a socket. It's like, ah! honestly, honestly, I hate mushrooms. So, yeah, I've, okay. I'd, I'd, I'd probably take the shock. <laughs> you know, or just grab some- the ice pick, yeah. Microdose some lobotomy. They just like go in real quick, in and out, five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A quarter I'm, of an inch depth. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to justify severing it. the lateral hypothalamus. We're just you know poking it lightly. Yeah, yeah just like come on, do something. Yeah, um, most guys can't even find the hypothalamus. I agree. <laughs> not with that attitude. Oh God. Okay. So. uh in spite of the fact these things were active until the 70s, they quickly made way for a burgeoning pharmaceutical industry. There we go. Mm. For your psychotropics that has viewed and treated mental illness as a chemical imbalance in the brain. All of this, of course, goes to say that both the etological theories do coexist today in what the psychological discipline holds as bio biopsychosocial models of explaining human behavior. Can you tell that I was looking at medical manuals? A.K.A. Insane in the Membrane. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Cypress. A.K.A. Uh, <laughs> also see... I like it when you call me Big Doctor. But uh, while individuals might be born with a genetic predisposition for certain psychological disorders, certain physiological stressors need to be present for them to develop the disorder. So sociocultural factors such as sociopolitical or economic unrest, poor living conditions, and problematic interpersonal relationships are also viewed as contributing factors. So it's important for us to then look back at what we were talking about last week, which, of course, the American Civil Rights Movement going on, a significant amount of individuals who were all, you know... uh, (laughs) terrified of either being killed in their sleep molested or otherwise harmed like there's a lot of very interesting components in the goulash that was the american sort of subconscious at this point Goulash so, also good with sour cream agreed yes if you want to you know chill it out a little bit so 
the slew of Satan-based psychotherapy occurring at a time when a wave of national moral panic was cresting in the U.S. definitely does play a major role in the myriad attributions of aberrant acts to some divine or diabolical inspiration, rather than readily identifiable psychological or physiological disorders, particularly at that time, which will be painfully evident in what I will discuss going forward, particularly in the wrongful conviction of the West Memphis Three, which will probably wind up being part three, depending upon how much time we spend here today. So Jesus. thank you for the digression. Of Good times, but mm. I, I felt like that was something I didn't really discuss and we didn't drill down on in the first episode. So kind of important to factor into our considerations. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, especially when you think about a lot of people uh, and the stressors, stressors that they dealt with leading up to, like we're talking the 50s, the 40s, like the... Uh, American uh, experience was a little bit less or more social as opposed to less individual. It was less individual, more social as opposed to when it became a lot more connected through the seventies and eighties, it became a lot more of an individual terror. Like you were going to be harmed. You were going to, as opposed to these people are being harmed, like with the uh, civil rights movement and everything mm-hmm. in the sixties. There's a lot of cultural rifts that are occurring. There's a lot of socioeconomic rifts that are occurring. Uh, obviously, with the war mentality versus the free love movement, there was a pretty significant uh, chasm between those two schools of thoughts as well. So there was a lot of contention in the country. And uh, obviously, a powder keg just needs one single spark in order to light the thing off. And it seems like they found plenty of candles <laughs> to throw on top of this particular cake. So... So glad we've moved on as a society. (laughs) Yes, obviously. We're (laughs) far better behaved. I fucking could have come up with a good retort to that. I I couldn't. You got me. I'm dead. Live. I wasn't even there. Ah. Um, So... As I stated last week, however, this is not to imply that the panic was a uniquely American experience either. As I did refer to, we did have a a slew of other satanic activity occurring across the pond. And as I alluded to earlier, but we'll throw back in here just for the sake of getting us immersed again, on October 3rd, 1990, a presentation on Great Britain's Channel 4, ITV, promised viewers solid evidence of Satanism for the first time on British television. (laughs) This show, of course, was based on stories elicited from children describing bizarre ceremonies, which included cooking babies in microwaves, our good old chestnut, uh, killing sheep and drinking their blood, and sexual abuse conducted in tunnels beneath cemeteries, evoking, of course, the climax of the D&D panic in Michael's previous episode. That's like some pretty... You know, that's pretty far-reaching things there. I mean, they got babies mm-hmm. in microwaves. Okay, that's pretty terrible. All right, killing sheep, drinking their blood. Less terrible, but still pretty off. Well, com- not, than, uh, not if you're the sheep. Well, less terrible than microwaving a baby. Uh, I but mean. but still bad. But then, like, sex under a tunnel, like in a graveyard? Under a tunnel? I mean, it's not necessarily sex if you're not uh, consenting to the act. Oh, yes. I sp- sorry, I... I Check. Yes. Like I, I, the yeah, word I just, abuse was thrown in there. Yeah, so I, I, yeah. I missed the uh, the abuse part. I was like, oh, it's just sex under graveyards. I was like, we're, so some people got no, some we're kinky back, shit. <laughs> we're back in your proverbial brown mile again. So 
in any event, the feature's climax, pun intended, was a torchlight visit to the Rock Cemetery, a dilapidated graveyard in Nottingham, where viewers were taken into alcoves and tunnels to see half-burned candles, graffiti, and something that looks like an altar. Ooh, half-burned candles. Oh, Spooky. man. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is that a lie? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, Billy Butcherson told me. But uh, so, since September of 1989, Great Britain has been affected by intense concern about secret satanic cults. And say that seven times fast. But uh, in 1990, more than 20 children in a lower-class housing project near Manchester were taken into protective custody by authorities, convinced that their parents were devil worshippers. Oh, man, what the fuck? <laughs> in March of 91, several more of the Orkney Islands were taken from families in similar incidents. That's several more in the Orkney Islands. Oh, okay. My phone like, started. Yes, the islands the were taken into island. custody. Whoa! <laughs> Indeed. Uh, meantime, <laughs> the press and channel the 4... and take it off to... Never mind. It's it's more like uh you know Easter Island you just they're pulling the statues the, the giant heads and just throwing them on a truck. Oh, Icy Island, right? In any event, uh in the meantime the present Channel 4 then began to trade bitter blows over whether televised specials on satanism were fact or sensation. Go figure. We need uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes here. Factor fiction. No doubt. Uh, the child abuses in Nottingham were genuine enough, but the local police found the link to Satanism tenuous at best. Uh, an official report gave a scathing account of the way social workers had solicited stories of ritual abuse from the children. Ah, huh. The cemetery, authorities added, was also located in the Red Light District of Nottingham and was used by many younger people as a secluded spot for sex, drinking, and drug use, but not to police knowledge, for underground rituals. They did everything above ground, above board, build the above right the permits. Shirt. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm, yes. Over the Just shirt. Petty groping. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Heavy petting. <laughs> above board, but still underground. No, no, Indeed. no. I said above ground. They said that nothing, nothing illegal happened underground. See, this just reminds me of the guy that, you know, wrapped a bunch of tinsel around his testicles. Pretty nuts. Uh... <laughs> But uh, the the association with immoral acts simply led many within the empowered conservative party in the UK at the time to point to the devil as the impetus behind all these evil impulses, painting all of the acts with the same sinful brush, as you do. And thus, a reporter for The Independent on Sunday, after summarizing the dispute, continued that it is worth recalling how the scare began. I will keep the accent because it's delightful. Mm. <laughs> Indubitably. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. But uh, <laughs> the stories started in the United States after the publication of a book which was said to be the true account of an adult survivor of satanic abuse, Michelle Remembers. No such stories preceded it, but many followed in books, testimonies to church congregations, and in psychiatric cases. Accusations that whole towns were abusing children in satanic covens led to numerous police investigations, but to no corroborative evidence. The panic spread to Britain in early 1988 through experts from the U.S. who spread the message to the U.K. in newspapers and on conference circuits. 
And thus, the brief history is accurate enough on recent events, but ITV's tour uh, and search of the Nottingham Cemetery was hardly the first time that British telejournalists had shown viewers quote-unquote proof of satanic cults. Oh, so and they here... even laughed about that? Yes. Oh, man. And here we're going to start getting uh, a lot more guano balls than we have previously, and that is saying something. Ooh, now I'm excited. Yes, we are going... We're going to see a pair of the strangest Brits that you will ever encounter, and again, I've said this on and on, but there is a glorious last pod that covers this entire saga if you want to get bone deep into it but we'll give you the you know the high points at the very least here all right let's uh, see the set of brits and get bone deep let's do it uh da bone. love a nice set of brits bone me that wait anyway continue <laughs> yikes uh American commentators on the satanic scare of the 80s have looked for its origins in fundamentalist religion and popular culture models like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, as we alluded to previously. In fact, Great Britain was actually the earliest and most dramatic source for information on Satanism, according to Bill Ellis in his article for Folklore magazine in 1993. The American phenomena, he claims, drew on British traditions that developed early in the 20th century and were disseminated uncritically by police, clergy, and the media during the 60s and 70s, part and parcel to a larger movement by the UK's conservative establishment to combat the liberal-leaning free love, unionization, and independence movements of the era. There were an awful lot of people who were not necessarily thrilled with the monarchy and certainly were angling to get better jobs, hours, and pay. And uh, so this was a, a quick way to kind of look at the pretty monkey over here and throw up the, the big boogeyman. <gasps> but uh, all the important motifs, of course, including the link to ritual child abuse, can be traced to the official warnings of this period. For a further example of how these fears coalesced, we need to look no further than the curious case of the Highgate Vampire. Ooh, vampires. Mm. No vampire. Way different. Yes, there is a Y involved here, which is delightful. Which so. is not an I, so it is different. Uh... To briefly summarize, during the late 1960s, rumors began to fly around London that an ancient vampire was oh, hunting vampire. the run. Well, okay. <laughs> I'll do it every time. Thank you. I, you confused me. I thought we were talking about vampires, not vampires. I do not, I do not say blah, blah, blah. Uh, an ancient vampire was hunting the rundown Highgate Cemetery, a Victorian-era necropolis whose most famous permanent resident is Karl Marx, believe it or not. I you obviously don't. No, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I, that's I, a lie. It uh, is true. Yeah, he was buried oh, there. Mm -hmm. He was uh, exiled from Russia and all that stuff, were you right? Calling, were you calling Marx a rat? Was What's happening here? <laughs> oh, he's a rat! Easy. You dirty rat. He killed my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and the proletariat. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> These reports proved too perfect for the sensationalist press to pass up. Soon enough, two men came to the forefront as occult experts and wompier slayers, in fact. Ooh, they Ooh. slay all right. Sean Manchester and, and David Ferrant. Sean Manchester? Okay, no, that's not... Sean uh, no, Manchester is his name. What? Yes. For real. <laughs> oh, it gets... My friend, we, we haven't even taken the scab off of this thing did yet. He have a, so. Did he have a brother named Dean as well? When, when did, it was close. It was close. 
I, I mean, Winchester is, yeah. is a bit far Manchester, removed. Manchester, Winchester, they're like right next door to each other. The United, the uh, yeah, orchestra, yeah, yeah. steamroller. I've seen them both play on the same field at the same time. It, it got a oh, little bloody, but Chesterfields. Yeah. Oh no, we don't talk about those. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, they're way. Right. Those are way different. We don't talk about Chesterfields. That's right. It's a couch. Exactly. Now. Inspired by the assertions of Manchester and Ferrand, as well as articles in the Hampstead and Highgate Express, which is a delightful name for a paper, uh, such as, Does a Wompier walk in Highgate? I don't know why I gave it that accent, but I elected to. It was fun. Uh, one of the largest vampire hunts in British history occurred on March 13th, 1970. When three people showed up. No. <laughs> the story, of course, though, begins on Halloween night of 1968, when a group of young people interested in the occult visited Tottenham Park Cemetery at a time when it was being regularly vandalized by intruders. Like mm. you do. Especially uh, on Halloween night. Uh-huh. Uh, according to a report in the London Evening News of November 2nd, 1968, these persons arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave, which was uncovered. A circle of candles, later determined to have been rendered from human fat, surrounded a coffin, which was opened, and the body inside disturbed. Was It, it was really, apparently down with the sickness. Was it really human fat? No, it was not. Okay. I was like, welcome. That's, a, that's a lot. That's a, that's a pretty big stretch there. I was going for the black flame candle, which was made by the uh, fat of a hangman, so you can all have fun there. Okay. Not a lot of Hocus Pocus fans in the room, I can tell. It's uh, been decades. Yeah, the sequel was mediocre, but the original was well, pretty good. Well, obviously. Uh, <laughs> in any event, the, their most macabre act was driving an iron stake in the form of a cross through the coffin lid and into the breast of the corpse. And though the identities and motivations of those responsible were never ascertained, general consensus at the time linked the desecration to events surrounding the Highgate vampire case. Why would they do an iron cross? Like, it's, like I mean, it's well, Russian. I, no, but I mean, like, isn't it a wooden stake is how you're supposed to take out the vampires? I mean, I, I don't think that anybody was passing around a manual of the... I'd Like, there's not an according to Hoyle way to dispatch. Well, if these are, like, official vampire slayers... It depends expect- on what author you read. I mean, this is also the 60s. And are you uh, uh, the aforementioned vampire slayer? It's a good question. Mm, sounds like you think you might know more than they do about how to I, slay a vampire. I've seen a lot of Buffy. Uh, well, again, <laughs> Buffy... 90s and early aughts, so, you know, obviously, the Slayers weren't active at this point. I think Slayer was founded in 1977, so you, you had to wait a little longer for that. Yeah. Then, and in a letter to the Hampstead and Highgate Express on the 6th of February, 1970, the formerly named David Ferrant, a Wiccan high priest and leading member of the British Psychic and Occult Society, which is different from the British Psychic society so this is going to get confusing all over the place of course uh wrote that when passing highgate cemetery on december the 24th 1969 he had glimpsed a gray figure which he considered to be supernatural and was asking or entreating others if they had seen anything similar <laughs> on the 13th, several people replied, describing a variety of ghosts said to haunt the cemetery or the adjoining Swain's Lane. 
These ghosts were described as, and again, I will remind you, there are no lies in the lists this week. A tall man in a hat. A spectral cyclist, which I would ah. love to see. Uh, a woman in white, of course, because there's one in every crowd. Uh, a face glaring through the bars of a gate. A figure wading into a pond. A pale gliding vapor, which could just be gas. Let's just be honest. And the bells ringing and voices calling. So either this is a collection of carolers with a lot of beans in their system, Ooh. and a, you know, British breakfasts would imply you've probably got a few sausages, uh, or it's spectral activity. I Who like that uh, Reddit boards existed even back in the 60s there. <laughs> Has any, so I saw this. Has anybody seen this? Oh, I saw a guy going into a pond. Whoa. Oh, I saw gas. <laughs> and then I took pictures of seven naked girls. Uh, they were spooky girls. <laughs> Strangely enough, we will get into Naked Girls with Sean Manchester, though. Uh, so, Sean Manchester, <laughs> British author and self-proclaimed exorcist who purports to be a skilled vampire hunter, holding the title of bishop in the old Catholic Church. So, see, New Mexico, old, old Catholic. Catholic. Oh, Your I've, guess is as good as mine. I've there, heard of it. it's, it's like... Isn't it some sort of kind of conspiracy theory that the Catholic Church, that is, the Catholic Church isn't actually the Catholic Church? Yes. And that it, and they, they have a secret society that's called the Old Catholic Church or something like that? Essentially. So they, yeah. they stick to all the old rites, and uh, hence why exorcism is a little more freewheeling and dealing, and you can kill vampires in this religion, apparently. Uh, he's also very fond of dressing women up and taking nude pictures of them, as we get into. It's part of his methods for trying to lure people in to help him track down vampires which is just delightful how do you dress them up and then take nude pictures of them well goth girls you know makeup oh, makeup and, and, okay uh, like... accoutrement oh yeah. okay okay i'm sorry i should say my... gussy them up not oh, necessarily okay, put clothing okay. on yes like, early version you... of the suicide girls and all that basically mm, you girls now uh, the uh Oh, so uh, part of his general. I'm sorry, my my place was. I, I broke I left you off, with the e girls. I, no, I just we, assumed that he had some images mixed into his article, and he paused no, to reflect. Like, mm, <laughs> the problem is, is that we cut me off in the middle of a sentence, so I was looking for a period, and it's actually a comma. So I hadn't finished the thought, but uh, so since he was holding the title of uh, bishop in the old Catholic Church, it, part of his vampire hunting included Ferenc Gray figure. So he said, oh, I have Wait, also sorry. seen this gray figure. Is the is the naked girls a lie? No, that is not okay. a lie. Okay, I just, yeah, I just like... paused because I thought we, we've stopped, we've talked about it, and I was like, this is going to be one of those times where we get to the end, and it's like, so oh, we actually paused to chat about it, but I, that whole thing was a lie. No, so um, <laughs> part of the way that he attempted to lure out the vampire was he took an individual who purported themselves to be a victim of the vampire and then he said, to try to lure her out, rather than say, I need you to help me go kill the vampire, he said, I would like to take some photographs of you. Here's my portfolio, as you can see. Mm -hmm. And so he takes her out into a cemetery and starts photographing her naked. And he's like, no, certainly this will be when the vampire strikes. <laughs> like, <it's laughs> and then I'll just, be ready. <laughs> yeah, it's it's guano balls crazy. This whole thing is just ridiculous. And but he, in any event. Is that an be, iron uh, cross in your pants or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> Let me douse you with my holy water. I plan on staking something by the end of the evening, but uh, the uh, bishop of the old Catholic Church—that was true as well. Also, yes, okay. in fact. So 
Uh, you'll often see this gentleman dressed as a priest, which is delightful since, again, he's photographing people. Well, at least he's going after grown women if he's a priest. Well, she was 15. Uh, she was 15 when he first met her. I think she was probably (laughs) like 18 when this happened. So, uh, in any event. Uh. Long story short, too. If you had said that at the start, I would have believed he was a priest and I wouldn't have had to ask if it was a lie. No, no, no. Yeah, I believe it. He's totally a priest. Wasting time. Unsubstantiated claims, allegedly. Uh, So the media, as they are wont to do, quickly latched on to all of this discussion, uh, embellishing the tale with stories in the papers of the vampire being the king of all vampires. It's the Howard Stern, apparently, of vampires. Uh, Or practicing black magic. In the cemetery confines. See, they needed Ozzy there. If he had just toured more in England, just he could wait. have been gr- grabbing the uh, bats, biting the heads give me, off. And- give me 20 minutes. We're going to have a discussion about that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, the ensuing publicity was enhanced by a growing rivalry between Ferrand and Manchester, naturally, <gasps> as one is a, a Wiccan priest, the other is a bastard priest. Uh, so, important to note. Uh, each claimed that he could and would would expel or destroy the particular specter. And thus Manchester declared he would hold an exorcism on Friday the 13th of March 1970. ITV then conducted interviews with Manchester, Ferrant, and others who claimed to have seen the supernatural figures in the cemetery, which were transmitted early on the evening of the 13th. Within two hours of the transmission, a mob of hunters from all over London and beyond swarmed over the gates and walls into the locked cemetery, despite police efforts to control them. See, they very clearly had TVs at all of the English pubs. So mm -hmm. it was just a mob of drunk Englishmen that were at the pub and, you know, all right, boys, let's go. Yeah. It's, it's mobbing time. Live cosplay of Shaun of the Dead, basically. <laughs> but grand old time. You got red on you. But uh, in any event, there were throngs of people, and the police were just, like, chasing cadres of folks around the cemetery trying to apprehend them. Also, it's important to note there was a law against desecrating graves in uh, in Britain for a long time, but they had since stopped the law. And then as an attempt to dissuade Satanists from getting up to this gory activity, they then reinstated the law. And so you talk about, there's like British police chasing after all these vampire slayers. I like pictured like Benny Hill music in oh, my yeah, head. Yeah, Very yes, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Running through doors, going one, coming out the other yeah. side. Pretty much. Places. Some of them yeah. are naked girls. One of them is an old Catholic church priest. Another one is a... And, of course, the, the Wiccan priest uh, was running around with, like, all of these candles <laughs> and various ephemera. And he's, like, dropping stuff, trying to get away. Like, this whole thing's just... Why can I hold all these candles? Ah! It's insane. So, then some months later, on August the 1st, 1970, the charred and headless remains of a woman's body were found not far from the catacomb. Oh. Uh, the, the police suspected it had been used in a black magic ritual, owing to an array of arcane symbols that were drawn on the body in ash, as well as a large circle of salt surrounding the corpse, which, since we poo-pooed this last week, I will clarify, acts as a containment device for evil spirits when ritual magic is being performed. So it, the creature that you conjure can't leave the circle. Oh, I wasn't poo-pooing that. I was saying it was ineffective against the homeless. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that's what he was doing. No, was, see, the homeless is just so overjoyed. The unhoused. Sorry, I'm sorry. My apologies. Yes, the unhoused. Don't want to get Doc upset at us again. Ooh, but, no, uh, I'm on board with homeless. What do you mean? But, I, it doesn't seem like it. But, um, <laughs> I'm all for the homeless. They're great. And uh, they have no room nor board. We've discussed this. Yeah, but no, uh, no, that's what I was poo-pooing. Okay, you know but they're, that you can also... contain them through salted circles. Oh, you can though, because they are just so overjoyed to see any sort of seasoning. They drop to the ground immediately and just start lapping it vigorously. They are also huge salt and pepper fans. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you can, in fact, ride my pony. But uh, in any event, Ferent was later found by police. In the churchyard, beside the cemetery, on another night in August. So apparently no one wanted to give up in the course of all of this carrying on. Uh, and of course, Ferent was carrying a crucifix and a giant wooden stake. Ah. He was subsequently arrested, and when the case came to court, it was dismissed. Because no one cared to follow these things through, apparently. It's like, bullshit. you quit fucking about night cemetery. I think uh, it, I'm going to call bullshit. It was not dismissed. And it he, was dismissed. Oh. With prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, a few days later, Manchester returned to Highgate Cemetery. Uh, so they're just, you know, dueling banjos at this point. Uh, he claims this time he and his companions forced open the doors of a family vault, which of course was indicated by his psychic helper, which is important to have with you. Of course. Uh, he then lifted the lid off one coffin, believing it to have been mysteriously transferred there from the previous catacomb. So they were playing sort of like a, uh, Hi, Louisa, find the porpoise, oh. uh, you know, uh, three card Monty. With the vampire corpse, so that they could keep it safe <laughs> keep from all these people hunting the it. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, here's the priest. Find the pedophile. Who's the pedophile? Find. Uh, <laughs> plot twist. They all are. And so, uh, he was about to drive a stake through the body that was contained in said unscrupulous coffin when his companion persuaded him to desist based on this British law against the desecration of graves. So you've gone through all the trouble to go into this cemetery, identify the king of all vampires, and you're like, I can't do it. I want to get taken to court. Oh, yeah, the law holds me back. I am lawful good here, not well, any other way. Way. I mean, so, you know, you have to, a man has to have a code. Yeah, breaking Thanks, in mus mausoleums, <laughs> that's okay. Breaking in, tressing, uh, tressing and passing. Actually, I was going more for Omar from The Wire. Ooh, thank you. Yes, Omar coming. But yeah, no, no, no that, that is where I would draw the line, too. I would uh -huh. break and enter, you know. Insult. But never desecrate. Never desecrate. Insult. <laughs> Insult. You didn't, uh, you didn't get the honey nut. In any event, uh, so subsequently, <laughs> rather than stab the bloody thing, they just stuffed the coffin full of garlic and incense, then staked the lid back closed, and they're like, I'll get him. He can stew in his own juices. And then they left. All right. Yeah. Great Is approach. Okay? Is that a lie? No. That's, True. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And that uh, didn't count as desecrating. Uh, no, that was just, you know, zhuzhing. Oh, okay. If you can put little, flowers little, on a grave, you can stuff garlic pepper. inside of it. Yeah, yeah you need a, salt well, a little salt on this corpse. And some mm. onion powder. Salt bay it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some there and some there There's some incense sprinkled across the top of the grave mm. in any event uh there was then more publicity about ferent and manchester when rumors spread they were going to meet at a magician's duel yes. on parliament hill on yes. friday april 13th they love friday the 13th these folks uh, which, of course, never occurred. Uh, they had gone so far as to create and distribute posters advertising the fight to try Aww. to get onlookers. Bring you on, gentlemen. S- subsequently, the police intervened, and they're like, no, you're not doing this, you jackasses. Leave Dang. each other alone, stop play." And so See, the just duel like, never took place. Just like the start of the episode, the police have to ruin all the fun. Yep. Uh, later, Ferent was jailed in 1974 for damaging memorials and interfering with dead remains in Highgate Cemetery, so apparently somebody didn't take the law seriously. And it also uh, makes you wonder, define interfering. <laughs> I'm just interfering with the dead remains here, don't mind me. Yeah, some well, salt you know, here on the face, some pepper there on the chest, some them, garlic, yes. yeah. If you're stopping the maggots and the worms from getting to it, apparently that's interfering. You're supposed to just leave them to the natural devices. But uh, vandalism and desecration, of course, he insisted had been caused by Satanists, not him. It was like that when I found it. I was just uh, yeah. protecting it from getting worse. All those I wasn't damn even Satanists. there. Yeah. So, uh, long story short, too late, Ferent and Manchester then wrote and spoke repeatedly about the Highgate vampire, each stressing his own role in the exclusion of the other. Uh, each attempted to control the narrative around the Wampir, resulting in ongoing animosity and a rivalry between the two, which lasted into the uh, 21st century on message boards, which they were still flaming one another as late as like 10 years ago. Wow, uh, really? Oh, so they're like ancient. They're vampires yes. themselves. Indeed. Jeez. Well, appropriate you say that because the feud continued marked by insults and vindictiveness until Ferent's death in April of 2019. Aww. Yes. Ooh. Uh, at that point, uh, Manchester uh, put the argument to bed and said, you know, he was he was a great person to, to have debates with. And while I didn't agree with his methods, I do appreciate him as a person. And so Godspeed, tip, you tip, merry gentlemen. Yes. God save the queen. I've got some more naked girls to photograph. So excuse me. Uh <laughs> But of course, it's Manchester's claims we'll put more of the focus on for the sake of this conversation, as in his book titled From Satan to Christ, he claims to have infiltrated a loathsome cult of demon-worshipping Satanists, exposing their evil practices to the world via his mouth, and... (laughs) You got me right when I was in the middle of the yawn, I didn't know how to do it! Sorry. Um... Uh, and of course, his uh, sensational photographic evidence. <laughs> sensational <laughs> is a good word. He's very fond of photographs. Uh, and of Love course, he rec- he rescued an innocent young woman who he brought to the party, uh, who strangely enough bore a striking resemblance to his present day wife. Oh uh, no! From their clutches. Oh no! And with that spark, touched to the tinder of the British fascination with the occult, from, of course, the exploits of Jack the Ripper, to the erratic and confounding enigma of the previously mentioned English occultist, philosopher, and ceremonial magician, poet, painter, novelist, and mountaineer, Alistair Crowley, 
public fear of satanic cults escalated, culminating in the earlier indicated claims of widespread child abuse in the 1990s. So there's a significant amount of accumulated momentum that pushed us into some of the more grandiose satanic panic uh, festivities, let's say, in the 80s and 90s. Apt word. I like it. Uh, as the latter incidents were, of course, greatly inspired by the Michelle Remembers book, as we indicated, uh, as well as the McMartin preschool trial, alarm bells began ringing throughout both countries. Accusations involving nursery children being molested, molested by daycare workers who were supposedly part of a satanic Easy, cult. Henry transcended the threat of random violence by psychotic killers, of course, hitting the average citizen where they live in a different and strangely more visceral way. Because, uh, you know, killing random regular people, of course, is bad, but when you are corrupting the innocent, that is a bridge too far, even for, you know, standard operating fear. So uh, Michelle remembers, of, and of course, the McMartin preschool trial are perhaps the most famous reflections of the ritual abuse allegations which beset the 80s with moral panic, but they weren't the only circumstances to create satanic anxiety at the time. Naturally, it also spilled over into pop culture, as we've explored previously, uh, through cinema, video games, board games, and of course, Tom Hanks films, ah. uh, and naturally... Heavy metal music. Ooh. 98 KUPD. <laughs> Thank <All right>. you. <laughs> Thus. <laughs> with several avowed members of the metal militia in attendance on the call here, I will say with certainty that anyone who has worn, for instance, my Hellraiser t-shirt that I'm enjoying this evening, or a metal-themed tea in public, will face the terrified glares of conservative churchgoers, uh, presuming you to be a villain and fiend of the highest order purely due to your chosen vestments. And this will be brought to bear later when I get into the Trial of the West Memphis Three as well, but we'll start with the impact attributed to the music itself. This segment of the discussion focuses less on the genesis of the satanic panic, but more on the blind fear and flag-waving that took place at the indulgent and deluded height of the craze, when simple choices, such as the literature you read or the music you listened to, could brand you a degenerate devil dog and ultimately lead to false arrests and even convictions of capital crimes, which is... Love a good devil dog. Don't we all? Onions, some mustard on that. Mm. Oh, I was thinking, like, cream-filled delicacies, but uh, I digress. <laughs> so, we will begin this installment where we left off at the end of the last in the UK. Uh, for the British, of course, the rise of bands like Black Sabbath in the 1960s and 70s certainly did them no favors in dispelling the rising tides of diabolic hoopla. And yet... Even during the height of their infamy, when a wide range of folks purported that the band were devoted devil worshippers, the two most common symbols employed by Black Sabbath in marketing were the Christian cross and the peace sign. Slightly confusing. I don't know how to take this. I don't know how to react to this. Yeah. Ah! Not exactly the iconography uh, of evil on its face, but uh, when Tristed... Tristed... Well, I mean, you could have a tryst with it, I suppose. Tristed if you were sister, baby. Oh, I've tristed. 
Uh, so when twisted by the idea that the band were simply subverting these symbols to their own evil ends, you wind up with a slew of sound and fury, ultimately signifying nothing. Uh, that said, however, the connection between Sabbath, the undisputed founders of heavy metal, and I'll fight anybody who wants to claim otherwise, uh, and of course the systemic practice of the dark arts has certainly endured over decades. Beside ritual fear stemming from the band's debut in the late 60s and general public pearl clutching, the idea that Black Sabbath really are Satanists stems from two things. The band's name, of course, and the genre in general. Despite the fact that Sabbath's name and image come from a pre-existing horror fiction culture and not actual reality, this doesn't stop real devotees of ritual magic from trying to link to the band in uh, supposedly true instances of the occult and magic. Due to public fears over the excesses of the counterculture and the Manson family murders, filmmakers found a way to cash in quick by making devil-heavy fright films. In America, uh, American International Pictures, who first came to the public's attention during the 1950s with films such as I Was a Teenage Werewolf and Girls in Prison, made a string of Satanism-themed movies that stretched deep into the 70s, while Great Britain's own Hammer Studios beat out the competition with 68's The Devil Rides Out, which was based on uh, one of Geezer Butler's favorite Dennis Wheatley novels, and 1973's The Satanic Rites of Dracula, starring Christopher Lee, which is yeah. delightful and has a really interesting collection of uh, black mass uh, iconography that takes place there. In any event, before long, horror fans began to emulate in their everyday lives practices they observed in films. And thus, sometime around the 1970s or so, freaks with white makeup and black robes started showing up at Black Sabbath concerts. As Ozzy himself details in his autobiography, I am Ozzy, these uh -oh. freaks wanted Black Sabbath to come along as well. I couldn't believe it when I learned that people actually, like, practice the occult, man. Like, freaks with white makeup and black robes would come up to us after gigs and, like, invite us to black masses at Highgate Cemetery in London. And I'd look at them and I was like, look, mate, like, the only spirits I'm interested in are called whiskey, vodka, and gin, okay? And at one point, like, we were invited by this group of fucking Satanists, man, to play it like Stonehenge, and that was fucking weird. And we told them to fuck off. And so they said they put a fucking curse on us, man. And you can imagine, I was like, Sharon! <laughs> and then, like, mind you, we did buy, like, a Ouija board at one point and had, like, a seance and scared the shit out of each other. Other than that, man, it was just all a bunch of malarkey. So translated, he got a lot of people asking him to do stuff that he didn't want to do. In any event, whiskey. yes, there were a significant amount of people who believed in sort of the image that Sabbath had cultivated and would show up asking them Sabbath to accompany Adabra, them baby. to, uh, yeah, indeed, uh, to a, a number of other odd ritual instances to which they said, no, the only spirits I'm interested in are called whiskey, vodka, and gin. Not shocking. He's got good taste. Yes, yes, no doubt. When you snort ants, that's uh, it helps to kind of heighten the palate but oh, uh, yeah. 
While this might sound like a group of working-class kids from Birmingham giving the old toss-off to a bunch of all-too-serious occultists, the truth is that the occultists, who were most certainly not serious magicians, it's a joys of editorializing, I suppose, were more than likely dipping too deep into their own favorite fiction. Take Ozzy's paragraph, for example. First of all, Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out contains a scene in which a coterie of well-heeled Satanists summon the devil while performing a ritual orgy at Stonehenge. Go figure. Uh, plus the novel. Lie? No, it is not. Oh, my goodness. Uh, plus, the novel also describes how a powerful warlock, a Aleister Crowley approximation called Mokata, tries to lay multiple curses on the novel's heroic protagonists. Mokata! It's one of my faves. It's a good name. Sounds like a cheese. Yes. Ooh, ooh, Uh, actually, you know what? I do love my quesadillas with some good mocata cheese. You gotta have a little green chili, a nice thick hunk of mocata. Oh, yeah, because it melts nice and smooth. Oh, yes, Oh, and then when you cut through it, oh, yeah, and it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick anywhere. It's like... But it's got a great chew. Oh, yeah. Good spread. You know, nice pull. That's yeah. what you want. <laughs> so far, so fake, right? But this part takes the proverbial devil's food cake. Yes, I went back there again. As oh. we return to the concept of black masses in the now infamous Highgate Cemetery that we referred to earlier. They keep getting on the escalator. <laughs> So who knows what could have happened if Sabbath actually did accept the invitation to Highgate so many years ago, when there's a bunch of people running around just cracking open graves and throwing salt at each other. Uh, We can assume nothing too dramatic would occur. Of course, after all, people back then already thought Sabbath were knee-deep in the occult, so it's safe to say religious protesters probably would have still been showing up at the gigs afterward. But then again, Sabbath, who were regular lads and just wanted to scare some squares without actually believing any of the mumbo-jumbo, may have slapped some sense into the vampire hunters who couldn't jump on the bandwagon fast enough. Uh, There remains a final option after Geezer Butler's experience with a dark shadow looming over his bed, which is, of course, immortalized in the song Black Sabbath. Maybe, despite Ozzy's being dismissed from the band, the Sabbath boys didn't want to scare up any further trouble, so call it the supernatural installment of Scared Straight. (laughs) (laughs) And so, in the summer of 1984, a 17-year-old drug dealer and self-professed Satanist, Ricky Casso, murdered his friend Gary Lowers in the woods of Newport, New York, while high on mescaline. As you all too often are. Uh, If you're a Hunter Thompson devotee, I mean, that's one way to go. It's the only way to fly. But uh, according to the coroner's report, Caso allegedly stabbed his friend 36 times and cut out his eyes. My apologies to anybody who wasn't prepared for this. Uh, Which led to the media propagation that the murder was ritualistic in nature. Well, I I mean, granted, he did... grotesque things which we didn't Mm -hmm. see coming but like there was a certain purpose behind it so then you could claim it is ritualistic by definition of something is happening for a reason right and here we are back again in the mid 80s so we are right as everything is really starting to bubble up and officially hit the boil so this it's going a lot of fun uh naturally if you're gonna level any accusation it's not oh he was Tripping on mescaline, it's oh, it must be the devil. Yeah, but the uh, devil made him self do defense. It. If you take mescaline and you switch the letters around, and add some and remove some, it spells Satan. 
oh, he was a vampire. He kept getting up. I had to keep stabbing him, man. I mean, it's crazy. He kept getting up, and he kept getting knocked down again with another stake. It was We're back uh, to Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba, yeah. Uh, by the way, there's a significant amount of chatter going on on our YouTube page based on the uh, the Chumbawamba short that we had up. So people are debating what is the best Chumbawamba song to get an Eiffel 69 to. So uh, go back, look at the comments. We'll shout everybody out. It's a grand old time. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm keeping man. things alive over there for you. But yes. Uh, yes, very entertaining. Might as well check that out. And thank you all for the engagement. Delighted to have you along for the ride, I assure you. We're also and that getting. Car does agree, too. Indeed. We're getting comments on uh, our Spotify posts with the episodes as well, oh. in case you did not see. So Ooh. that engagement you've been long craving, Michael, yes. is finally happening. Yes. You just would never know. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Live in a bubble. So. After all of this nonsense with Ricky Casso, Jimmy Troiano and Albert Quinones, who were friends of Casso and Lawers, were also present at the crime and told police that Casso commanded Lawers to say, Say you love Satan, before he took his life. Lawers, in one of the most heartbreakingly, like, innocent responses ever, replied with, I love my mother. <laughs> which Damn. is awful right in the feels Jeez. yeah so uh for weeks following the murder casa would lead local teens into the woods and show them the body and brag so this is obviously a very well-adjusted individual who has a lot of respect for society and its laws is the uh, i love or i love my mother comment a lie it is not no. oh that's i i wouldn't even i wouldn't be that know. bleak my oh, friend god i was just um, kind of like well maybe because that's just so like heart-wrenching you know so i was like from the guy who was fine with cooking babies in a microwave saying i love my mother well because they can't say mama yet so it's okay well well and nobody's actually (laughs) cooking babies in the microwave but like somebody actually getting killed and being like i love my mother that's hard to hear to which i mean these are new yorkers so it's like yeah so everybody else around the block you fuck with (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, sorry. I love uh, my mother. Your mother loves these nuts. What? <laughs> God. Uh, so, he, so uh, was he actually taking uh, teens yes. into the forest? Yes. He was leading a guided tour of the woods and his various activities. How long do mescaline trips last? Because I don't uh, this, think I don't it- think the mescaline's the issue here, friend. And we'll <laughs> evidence that by he then told some of these teenagers that he killed Lowers because Satan told him to. Uh, not Jodie Foster this time. And he did believe that the devil manifested in the form of a black crow. Ah! <laughs> Jimmy Page was not present at the show, however. Uh, and what its caw coincided with Caso asking if he should take Glower's life, he interpreted that as Satan's approval. Well, <sighs> okay. Indeed. The, the bird told me to. Uh, I'm telling you, son of Sam, son of Crow, uh, Croson. Four months afterwards, the media then presented Caso as a Satanist who was part of a cult. Go figure. Further fueling the hysteria that was presently engulfing America. The Ugh. Knights of the Black Circle was apparently the name of the sect that they claimed Caso was a part of, although there was no evidence whatsoever to suggest this anywhere to be found. I think they are the enemy of the Knights in White Sun. Thank you. <laughs> I feel so moody and blue. But uh, 
a press so release. With that, is that bullshit? That is not bullshit. Okay. No. All right. The Knights uh, of the Black Circle. Good, anytime there's a reference that I don't get that Doc gets, I presume that it was a lie at some. Oh, point, I so. see. Okay. No, I was making a reference. I didn't know his. I was just. I was making a reference. Shane caught it. Thank you. Well, yeah, uh, that's why I presume that. Oh, well, you know, Shane's smart well, and everything. Back to episode one again. Um, so what's the what's the show about? Uh, let me hold on. Let me sit with my legs really, Let's really open and man spread here. Uh, so a press release following the incident was released by Suffolk County Police, which claimed that Casso regularly partook in rituals honoring the devil, and the notion that Casso was a devil were devil a devil worshiper. I'm suddenly from Wisconsin. Is a devil worshiper was further bolstered by his own father, who claimed his son was obsessed with reading about witchcraft and wearing apparel featuring satanic symbols. Most of which I will note are Black Sabbath t-shirts, which figured regular run-of-the-mill Christian crosses, or, even better, an individual in a fighter pilot's helmet, uh-uh. which was on the Never Say Die album cover, uh, rather than the blasphemous inverted crosses or pentagrams, which are commonly associated with satanic iconography. So they're just anything that you can latch onto at this point is something that they're just happy to realize, like, oh, it's all Satanism. It's just the guys in bug-shaped helmets that look a little weird. They're wearing overalls, for God's sakes. Uh, overalls are the Satan's pants. I mean, if Slipknot's to be believed, uh, then yes. In any event, on the day that Caso was arrested, he was wearing an ACDC shirt, for instance. And this, of course, led to the inevitable association between heavy metal and the atrocities by mass media. Well, that's terrible, because ACDC's not even heavy metal. Easy. <laughs> it, it's it, it's for those not. about to rock. We salute you. Correct, rock. It's 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 rock and roll. I, I'm not uh, arguing yeah. with you. Rational. Uh, but the man so, clearly was on the highway to hell. Logic. And he's ringing hell's bells at the very least, and on the razor's edge, no doubt. But uh, naturally, also religious figures and concerned parents, also looking for a scapegoat, readily clutched onto this as well, linking him to the killings of Richard Ramirez. Was the ACDC shirt a lie? Sorry. No, because no, you asked that last time, too, and he told you again, no, yep. it wasn't. Yep. And then you almost it, had the argument about heavy metal music then, too. Wait, I did? Yes. yes. You Man, called ACDC time is a, hat flat circle. a lie. <laughs> I, I have zero recollection of that It's okay. There's a lot of things happening. <laughs> So, in any event, uh, I don't know if you would call this a happy ending or not, but Caso would dispatch himself in prison less than 48 hours after being taken into custody. Oh, it didn't last long at all. ran that. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, a a very well-fortified spirit for that man. Or, kind of like the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie there where Freddy kills the guy in prison, maybe Satan was just finishing the job there. Oh, I thought you were going like Epstein, like they they had to kill him to shut him up. (laughs) Satan killed Epstein. It makes sense. It's all the cults, man. Oh, man. If only we had known. It It was the process. All along. We gotta check the flight records. Maybe Satan was on the Lolita Express. <laughs> oh, that was actually my favorite tag team from the 80s. Uh, <laughs> not the tag team you're thinking of, the like professional wrestling, okay? Calm down. In any- also so, sensational. Thank sensational you. Sherry. I don't think she was involved in the Lolita Express. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gail Kim was. Um, so, 
as Caso was naturally a heavy metal or, as we'll call it, a, a hard rock fan as well, particularly of <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest, it didn't take long for the association to congeal in the minds of the general public. However, it wasn't a single atrocity linked with heavy metal music and the artists making it that caused all the hullabaloo. In 1988, a Geraldo Rivera documentary there it is. called Devil's Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground. Like, oh. Isn't he hairy down there? I thought it was supposed oh, to be like yeah, hooves, he, yeah, hooves and like, long pants. Yeah, Seder or something like that. Seder, Satan. Yeah. Seder. Seder. Uh, <laughs> Seder, I hardly knew her. Damn, <laughs> Damn near killed her. The documentary aired depicting metalheads as blood-drinking, grave-robbing, sacrilegious cretins. We do not use their left and right turn indicators, indeed. Uh, It then went on to discuss a series of murders involving young people linked with devil worship. The most notorious of them was a Thomas Sullivan, a 14-year-old who stabbed his parents, or his mother specifically, to death, and just so happened to also be a fan of Black Sabbath. It's a very common theme running through this Mm. for Rivera, specifically. Curious. Ozzy would appear as a guest via satellite, and when asked about the connection between his music and a number of the crimes that had been mentioned, he was uh, more or less cut off before he could actually give any substantive defense. Also curious. Well, there was probably like a two-minute pause, and Rivera was just waiting for him to talk, and he was like, okay, I guess I'll just go. Don't insult his stammer. He has to take a minute to formulate his thoughts. (laughs) There's been a lot of cocaine in that brain. He's on a, he's riding off the rails on a crazy train, okay? That uh, he was. That he was. What do you say about your music being associated with all this money? You got to understand, man. It's like, it was the first time I put pants on. I cut my penis in the zipper. It really oh. sucks. If you ever get your trick uh, above the berries, man, it's like, it's really awful. It was, okay, well, that's all the time that we have for Mr. Osborne this evening. Thank you. Uh, the last time I eat lasagna before I go to my grandmother's house. God damn it. Oh, the burning. Oh, the burning. All right. Ah. So there's, of course, no denying that some perpetrators of violence are metal fans. Coincidentally fascinated with Satan. Crazy. There's some overlap there. Uh, straight. It's on that particular pie graph, I imagine. You know, it's a decent swath, but... Issues such as mental health and home life are often ignored in these instances in favor of sensationalist fear-mongering when creating a killer profile. Mm. And the fear that heavy mental... Heavy mental? (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) uh, The fear that heavy metal contained lyrics encouraging people to self-harm or heart others heart others hurt others man i'm really just stammering <laughs> I like all over the place too. here heart others man i mean, I mean it's not doing that heart wrong. sign the devil yeah. loves you metallica's Ooh. first album was called kill em all and had a song called jump in the fire so and that was about hearting people yeah you had to hit the lights but uh-huh. and seek and destroy uh the fear of course uh, was never more prevalent than in 1985, in the full throes of the Satanic Panic, when a 20-year-old James Vance of Blythe, California, Ugh. tried to sue Judas Priest. After a night of partying, Vance and his friend, 18-year-old Raymond Belknap, there's a name that rings just resoundingly uh, in my mind rings forever. Rings a, a map, yeah. Belknap, yeah. Thanks. Uh, headed for a local playground and... Gave the old lead salad to the brain. 
Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So when he said that, I thought insane in the brain again. Sorry. Um, Okay. They shot themselves. Okay. That's the thing. I was trying to be a little. Not sure that. Yes. Do they at the Marcy playgrounds? playground. Okay, I didn't believe that they had playgrounds in Blythe. I thought it was just a gas station. The whole world is a playground when you're in Blythe, <laughs> California. I mean, not wrong. Not wrong. And plus, there's a satanic cult that's based there, as we well know. So, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Yeah. Indeed. Uh, naturally, Belknap did not survive the incident, but Vance would go on to file a lawsuit against Judas Priest, claiming that the subliminal messaging within their stained glass album drove him to the act. Ultimately, the band and their record label will avoid any legal responsibility for the tragedy, but even empirical evidence was not enough to convince concerned parents and moral campaigners that subliminal messages promoting suicide and devil worship were not possessed in heavy metal records that their children were listening to. I remember like 15 years ago getting caught down like a YouTube rabbit hole of like Mm. listening to records played backwards like... Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven and just some like creepy stuff that you could hear with it and like the very creepy satanic voices of like kill yourself and stuff and it's like whoa a trippy man it's yeah, like if you it's... play anything backwards it's probably going to sound diabolical yeah That's... no yeah, exactly because it's chord progression is backwards and well, it also, messes with our head and... your mind starts to ascribe you know rational thoughts to something which is not rational Ex- well but, and yeah. And it's not even necessarily the mind doing it when, like, the videos that I'd watched, they'd have um, uh, closed captions on it, right? It's oh, telling you so what the it's ghost in. adventures yeah. trope. Oh. Yeah. So I'm reading it. And then, you know, of course, when you're reading it, that's when you can, oh, okay, I can hear that, you know? Like, I can kind of sit. But if you had just taken away the words there, I'd be like, this is just a bunch of garbledy gook. But I remember I, I got, like, I spent one night. I was probably up till, like, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Had to work the next day. Felt like crap. But but up until, like, 3 or 4 in the morning, just down this rabbit hole of, like, all these records backwards and sitting alone in my dark house. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, Satan's coming. Michael is now going to discuss the joys of the electronic voice phenomenon for us here. Uh White noise effect, like yes, white noise, uh-huh. and yeah, and, I mean, and hearing like, ghost voices in in the yeah. white noise, yeah, that's a whole movie. Yeah, which I almost watched when it Star- came out, but I, I was a, I was too much of a little little baby. It's not that scary. Plus, it's Michael Keaton. He's Batman. He can fight it. Michael mm-hmm. Keaton's in it. Ooh, you didn't know Michael Keaton's in White Noise? How dare you? Nope. <laughs> I started doing this last night with Melissa. We were running himself. down. I started like ascribing. Uh, individuals to films to you know try to make connective tissues for her and i was like oh yeah uh, michael madsen was in this she's like who's michael madsen I was like okay he was um mr blonde in pulp fiction she's like, I, I didn't see pulp fiction she's like okay he was in uh kill bill he was bill's brother bud it's like <laughs> yeah just i was like it's virginia madsen's brother she's like who's virginia madsen it's like okay oh, i no. realize <laughs> i'm fighting a losing battle here i'm the only idiot who sits and thinks about these things so anyway sorry dug too I, deep dug too deep indeed i digress i digreg but as i detailed in my episode on the Ozzy Osbourne suicide solution controversy previously, in 1985, a community known as the Parents Music Resource Center, spearheaded by that great stalwart women's liber Tipper Gore, made up the playlist of songs they deemed inappropriate for young listeners. The list dubbed the Filthy Fifteen. Ooh. 
<laughs> no, another is of my favorite adult it? films. Uh, yes, it was called The Filthy 15. Go back and re-listen to that episode. It's a delight. Oh, man. Is was used to serve as a template for proposed litigation, or litigation, proposed legislation, <laughs> legislation, <laughs> uh, regarding how albums should be rated, suggesting that they should come with extra warnings if the consent pertained to sex, violence, drugs, and alcohol, or the occult. Of the 15 songs, nine of them were metal including Judas Priest's Eat Me Alive, Motley Crue's Bastard, ACDC's, now we're going to argue about this, Michael, they categorize it as metal. I I apologize. I, I didn't, didn't say a word. I just shook my head at the idea oh, of no, Motley he was, Crue. He was, and... he was talking to me. He was talking to me. Indeed. Oh, okay. And ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You, Twisted Ooh. Sisters' We're Not Gonna Take It, which it sounds like those two were speaking to each other, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wasp's yeah, Animal, which is one of my favorite parenthetical ever, fuck like a beast. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful I was song. like, oh, Animal, that's not terrible. <laughs> fuck like a beast. Okay. All right. Sounds like something Joe Rogan advertises. Um, in any event, Def Leppard's With my high- supplements, you'll fuck like a beast. You take Order enough now, sixty percent off. If you take enough horse dewormer, you'll <laughs> fuck like a beast. Uh, also included: Def Leppard's "High and Dry," Merciful Fates "Into the Coven," yeah. Black Sabbath's "Thrashed," and of course, as we mentioned, the eponymous Ozzy Osbourne's "Suicide Solution." However, so, fascinating that uh, well, a uh, too early in the game for Metallica, so that's not necessarily surprising yes. there. Um, but I, I would imagine if I was Kiss, I'd feel a little left out. Like, Love Gun doesn't make it, you know? Motley Crue's on there, but Love Gun can't be? Come on. Man, I don't They're know like, when you on, became the apologist music. for Kiss, but... <laughs> okay, okay, Kiss in the 70s, classic, okay? You enjoy classic, classic I, kisses in the and, 70s. And and the last two albums, Sonic Boom and Monster, both fan- phenomenal albums. Well, you should dress yourself up as the the cat kid. I will be the star man, and we can have a grand old time here. I'll be the demon. And see, they got a guy named the demon. How is he? How do they not get a guy on? He literally like spitting blood from his mouth. How do they He's not, not get a song? Satan. It's all Sa- Shannon Tweed's fault. I'm saying that right Tipper now. Tipper Gore. I'm so disappointed. Tipper. Not Damn too man. hard. Yeah, She'll I'm fall not over. Her now, yeah. Indeed. So, fifteen I don't think so. <laughs> Okay, it's Mr. Mr. Pink over here. Uh, however, what's interesting is how much they failed to capitalize on the satanic mass panic as much as they could have. Missed opportunities. For example, they chose an ACDC song with sexual lyrics as opposed to, say, Highway to Hell or Hell's Bells, as we talked about previously. <laughs> Those were two of the band's biggest hits as in, interpreted as occult-themed music, and, of course, owed to their connection to our resident fiend Richard Ramirez as well. I think Richard Ramirez's adoration of the band alone could have been enough to inextricably link them to the devil, but... That said, ACDC did not escape the controversy of Ramirez's heinous act. Their 1979 song Night Prowler was accused of being the inspiration for Ramirez, even though the song's about a guy who sneaks into his girlfriend's room at night when her parents are asleep for some canoodling, as I alluded to previously. Canoodling. Canoodling. With Tipper. 
Uh, in any event, the headlines, of course, then even accused the band's initials to mean Antichrist Devil's Child, as we talked about, even with, you know, the acronym for KISS being Knights in Satan's Service and all the other nonsense, since I don't want to leave KISS unexplored here. Thank you. Thank he, you. he would complain. He would your have kiss, left a comment. Your KISS is on my lips. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of touch. I'm out of time. With uh, my love gun? <laughs> wanted to be like Tony Schiavone right now. We're out of time! <laughs> but in the end, a parental advisory sticker was agreed as the best course of action to take by the PMRC. However, while that's far more than fair, considering the lyrical content in most of these songs is not appropriate for children, so parental yeah. advisory seems reasonable enough, yeah. it does typify the conservative attitudes held towards metal music in particular at the time. And as the satanic panic epidemic cooled down heading into the 90s, the stigma attached to metal and devil worship was still causing a stir. Plus, For all example, those stickers. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say all, all those stickers. Uh, just encouraged people to yeah, buy exactly. the, the it albums. Was just like, yeah, exactly. Like, as I would, I remember being a kid and going through the record store and it's like, oh, that doesn't, you know, E for everyone or whatever it was. Like, oh, that must be lame, lame, lame. Ooh, this one must be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the same idea as when you ban things, it becomes cool to want said thing that is banned. So well, exa- it's exactly that, yeah. But it like, but it goes a step further because it's not just like, okay, it's been banned, and you know now you don't know about it. It's it's literally advertising, like mm-hmm. you know these are the ones you want. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, then, or fortunately, encourages other people to be more grandiose in their sort of posturing, as we'll talk about with Marilyn Manson, who was the glorious oh, no. uh, parental and religious nightmare come Ugh. from the you know devil's dreams themselves. But of course, uh, after Columbine and the tragedy there occurred, they very quickly leapt to villainize him and use him as a scapegoat as well. Of course, he has proven in the subsequent years that he is worthy of the slander, worthy, so yeah, that's yeah. fine. Well, uh, that's still in a, a different matter. regard yes no, I, yes, no yeah, i'm is, saying that it's music. still it, allegedly know, it's still alleged and like some people have recounted their things there or recanted so, even so, yes recounted sorry recounted they recounted they then recounted, recounted. They recounted yes they recanted so i'm just saying that like i gotcha it might not be as we got an I mean, apologist on the line, ladies and germaphobes, but I'm, not, I'm a torch-bearing to, no, I, I am not an apologist. I'm I merely know. saying, let's let the facts play out. When people are suddenly recanting their stories, I don't want to vilify somebody necessarily. Oh, unless- yes. He has certainly comported himself in a very fine and upstanding fashion over the course of all of his time between. Uh, so one of my friends <laughs> yeah, actually was uh, on tour with him for a significant amount of time. And that oh, is wow. why I will throw the slander, because uh, <laughs> according to the stories I've heard, he is a repellent piece of shit. At least oh, that is what I have heard. So I, I met him once. I mean, it was only for like 20 minutes, but he was nice when i man you so met everyone you met the on mayor your of your city oh. you met marilyn manson you met jerry pop and daddy's lead singer multiple times the, uh, and i was gonna kill him the ufc yeah. champ tito whatever his name is made tito, him breakfast. you don't even know his name i don't i took Wait, a picture with him i met like him and stuff tito ortiz tito ortiz thank you yeah i met him made him breakfast there david hasselhoff as we've talked about before stone cold steve austin eric together all you just had them? a bed and breakfast uh, going on. No, for, but for Stone Cold and Eric Roberts were together. 
They 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 had breakfast what? together. This is a relationship bombshell uh, that we've no, never was heard of before. I was, was going to say filming, it was yes. when they were filming the Expendables in Vancouver. So they came in, made them both breakfast, same time they ate together. And he said, "God damn, kid, that's some good eggs." <laughs> big big effing guy. Oh yeah, I thought you were going to yes. say really big and eggs. He ate a lot of fucking eggs. <laughs> I, I mean, you have to. Come in here, goddamn! I got fourteen egg whites. Got to get myself some breast chicken. Got to make sure I get my pump on. <laughs> but no, yes. I, apologies for kiss. Not apologizing for anybody else. I was just, you know, wanting to. Or Marilyn it out Manson. There. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. You you covered our ass for the litigious <laughs> out there. <sighs> Legal gives it a thumbs up. Well, Thank you. Shane knows somebody, so he can call him that from his own personal experience. I I'm just going off like I don't know. It didn't seem terrible. I met him that one time, and he didn't spit on my head or put his testicles on the back of my neck. So, obviously, he's a pretty good guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, what more can you ask for? But, Listen, if he, but, but if Doc asked for it... All, all we can judge anything on is our empirical experiences, I completely understand. So, yes, I don't want to cast aspersions, even though he's a piece of shit. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's not event. a dispersion if it's right, right? In any event, much like Judas... God, I sorely disagree there. We're just going to part company. Antichrist Superstar is so good. I mean, if you can find a tone on that record that's coming out of his mouth, uh, I just I didn't realize that atonal screaming like you have cats evacuating from your asshole is considered <laughs> musical performance. But maybe I'm wrong. It's a matter of taste. And well, wrapped in plastic noise. from uh, mechanical animals or whatever it is. The, the fir- No, um... The cats uh, are wrapped in plastic? No, ra- well, wrapped in plastic <laughs> from the first album there. That's a great uh, homage Shut to Twin Shut the fuck Peaks. up. I don't give a fuck about any of this Marilyn Manson <laughs> nonsense. We're moving on. <laughs> moving so, on. Much like Judas Priest and the Cherry Poppin' Daddies and others back in the years before, Manson was directly blamed for inspiring <laughs> crimes committed by Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris because they were fans of his music. And, of course, Manson's Church of Satan membership didn't do his wholesome image any favors either, and that is all that we will say about Marilyn Manson <laughs> on this episode. Now, moving into the new millennium, bands that I love, like Slipknot and Mudvayne, were building their own reputation by being just as immersed in controversy as they were for their musical output. Uh... During the 80s, however, the moral panic was directly linked to Satan and a genuine cause of anxiety for many a religious leader and parent, as it permeated throughout pop culture as a whole. So there's always going to be some sort of controversy associated with entertainment, particularly anything that is a little subversive of our more conservative natures. And I'm Irish for some reason, apparently, but, uh, I mean, we throw this thing at film, video games, comic books, even as we've discussed at random fan fusions. So, uh, you know, everything's taboo if you don't want to parent properly. And I will put that on a t-shirt. <sighs> I... I wouldn't mind having that as a t-shirt if we ever had a merch store. That would be good. Okay. I'm all over it. Long story short, too bloody late. Scapegoating, of course, still follows us into this very day, and particularly anything associated with metal these days. And it does go into other facets of pop culture. It probably always will. But if Ozzy came along in 2016 dressed as a vampire singing about alchemists, most would brush it off as merely daft fun. 
that it should have been construed as in the first place. As science has advanced and we've gained a better understanding of mental health, as I alluded to earlier, with countless theories refuting entertainment as a direct cause of crime, violence, self-harm, and lesser intelligence, it does make the satanic panic epidemic seem rather ridiculous in hindsight. But while we can all sit back and laugh about D. Snyder defending metal in our courts nowadays... Uh, back then, he was speaking to a panel who embodied a widespread mentality that actually existed, one which you could argue failed to comprehend logic. Sure, you could argue that society continues to baffle when it comes to logic in certain circumstances, but it is rarely the devil blamed when it comes to contemporary outrage. Uh, I know you can argue with me about that, but... I was uh, going to say the most recent thing was a, a discourse about Target, so... Uh... <laughs> I'm Have not you familiar, not... no. Fire away. Okay, I will give Hoist the most briefest petard. things. The most briefest of it's things. It's okay, I'm done. So, so. So, so Target is the recent Bud Light yeah. to oh, be okay. modern things. Gotcha. So they were preparing. They started stocking their shelves a little early for Pride Month, and people were like, we're going to pull a Bud Light on them because that's how conservatives talk nowadays. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of threats, a lot of Threats of bodily harm, a lot of threats of uh, property destruction against Target, and so they backed away. And a you lot know, of people it's were, the most Christian way to comport yourself by threatening it, bodily harm and damage of property. Exactly, and so there was at least one picture that I had seen on Twitter that had shown uh, what someone had assumed was being sold at Target, and it was a picture of like a, I don't even know if it really was Baphomet, but it was it looked satanic. And people said that, oh, that's what Target was selling. So we were keeping Satan out of the Satan out of the kids' eyes and stuff like that. So they, I thought it was hilarious that okay. we started talking about Satanic uh, Panic Redux, and yeah, doing it again, another Satanic Panic. Well, I'm happy to oh. be hoisted on my own petard in this particular instance. I know we've had uh, a lot of discussion. I felt like, in particular, like uh, the. Uh, the Church of Satan these days and the Satanic Temple has done a lot more to kind of, you know, hold themselves up as the glorious apostates that they are, but just trying to make a call to uh, reason and appeals to logic as opposed to just being scintillating and, and stirring up controversy, controversy, but who knows? Well, and I mean, nowadays it's so hard to truly shock the public that's why you don't have any like real modern well, shock rockers or anything like that it's shock the monkey it's uh paradoxically incredibly easy to shock the public and incredibly difficult to shock the public it only well, shocks the public if you do it unintentionally well and something that has nothing to do so, with satanism so, so i would argue i would argue that it is difficult to truly shock the public. I think that there is yes. a lot of feigned outrage nowadays, mm. right? Okay, like, yeah, like the yeah. Bud Light Selective thing. outrage, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to get at, but yeah, I yeah. agree. Because I think like the early days of the Satanic Panic and like with you know Alice Cooper and Manson and whatnot, the the classic shock rockers kiss, you know, when they started. And uh, now Montero. But now like you don't really have an equivalent <laughs> of those nowadays because you know, society's just kind of advanced with the, the pervasiveness of the internet and the, the wealth of stuff that we're all uh, exposed to. Mm. Um, you just, you don't have that That's... truly like shocking moments uh, and, and really like kind of cult figures out there like that, that can have the impact that they once did. But you do have a lot more selective feigned outrage uh, yeah. with the Bud Light target nonsense where people are really with... upset, but they pretend to be. 
Yeah, because even with the uh, reference to Montero, people weren't necessarily offended that it was Satan that was uh, he was you know pole mm-hmm. pole sliding pole riding down to. It was the fact that it was uh, it, you, they were both male. Yes, you know homosexuality. <laughs> and, that's an affront yeah, to exactly. everything that's yeah, decent. So yes, that's what they were more upset with. Which I still because I always every time Montero is brought up, I have to say. Kids Bop has a clean version of this song, and I have read it. I will never listen to it, but it is the most bizarre. Th- they pretty much changed all the words. Yes. Uh, so it's absolutely hilarious. Well, yeah. there's a future After Dark for you. We can re- listen and react to the Kids Bop version. Oh, man. But, uh, so that I'm on it. is officially the uh, the end of what I have for you for part two. And then in part three, as I alluded to earlier, we'll get into one of the most egregious uh, presentations of the sort of culmination of the satanic panic itself, the uh, Arkansas case of the now infamous West Memphis Three. So, lies, Jingle uh, Was that charred Lord. corpse in the graveyard? Was that a lie? No. Uh, then I got That's nothing. for real, for real. Yeah, I got nothing. Okay. Were, the, I I mean we tried, but uh zip them right past us is zip de zoop them out of here. Indeed. So. Well, unfortunately, uh Michael, you were right. The first lie was that there wasn't a list lie. Uh I think I <laughs> <laughs> I I unfortunately uh. stumbled into something here, but okay. So uh, lie number one was that uh, Ellis made claims that the uh, American phenomenon was sort of predated by the British. Now that he does claim that, but he did not say that it was the uh, the UK's conservative establishment that was trying oh. to disseminate the idea of of devilry. He was just simply saying that it was largely like the police, the clergy, and the media all kind of coalescing in ah. the in the UK culture to push that out. It wasn't necessarily the Crown disseminating the concept that's like we've got to say it's the devil that's bewitching everybody. Um, but there was a lot of significant pushback from folks that didn't like hippies and those that were trying to unionize get a little more in the independent culture there so in any event that's lie number one you got lie number two which was the circle of candles later to have determined by uh having been rendered by human fat Uh, unfortunately it's just uh, not entirely true uh were there still candles there though yes there were still candles there okay they just weren't made of human fat yeah now, uh, that said, uh, Michael was close to, or I should say, no, Doc was close to a concept here by asking whether the charred headless remains of a woman's body was a lie. That was not a lie. However, uh, their claim that it was related to a black magic ritual was oh, not right. owing to an array of arcane symbols drawn oh. on the body in ashes. Cause how are you going to see ashes on a burnt corpse? Oh. <laughs> Should have drilled down more because that's actually oh, man. that's that actually what point. got me thinking. That's why I made a note because okay. I was like that right. that didn't seem quite accurate. But so I I should have drilled down in my spe- and been more specific. I'll no. give you I'll give you part credit, but uh, <laughs> and also I specifically threw in the fact that they surrounded it in a circle of salt, uh, based it's, on last week's discussion and everybody's having a joy there. So yeah, that was not there. That it was, wasn't it was a good redirect, a good misdirection. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. So that was lie number three. Uh, as we slide down here, line number four is significantly further down. Um, 
So, Caso, the individual who stabbed his friend 36 times and pulled the eyeballs out, uh, his father did claim that he was obsessed with a witchcraft and wearing apparel featuring satanic symbols. However, the shirts that were referenced were not specifically stated as being Black Sabbath shirts. They didn't say anything about that. I threw that in for the sake of keeping some continuity. Uh, mm. And specifically because if you see the album cover for Never Say Die, that helmet is very interesting. It's kind of insectoid. So I can imagine somebody looking at that and getting their, you know, hackles up about it. So that is line number four. Line number five is uh, 20-year-old James Vance of Blythe, California. He did uh, not live in Blythe, California. God damn it. Yeah, I, I swore somebody would have jumped up vehemently to declaim that as being well, so true. But I, I, thought about I mean, I called bullshit it. on the pl- playground. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought about trying to chime in, but then you guys started talking about Blythe and and Michael wasn't calling it, so I was like, okay, I guess this will be true. Uh, a reasonable uh, claim as to uh, why I didn't submit the lie no, at the time. No, no, because it was so, it so naturally worked itself into the conversation because mm. we actually pa- kind of like, and I, you know what? We should start calling these things more often, Michael, because it was another example of where we've stopped, discussed something, mm-hmm. and then that turned out well, to be the lie. And I tried to catch us earlier on that because I was like, yeah, this happens a lot. Let's, but then I fell into the same comfortable habit we always do. <laughs> We're having Granted, fun. I believed it entirely. I was making a joke because Blythe is a desolate wasteland that nobody likes to stop in. <laughs> unless you're from Blythe, in which case it's a beautiful town to visit when you're getting gas. It's He's awesome. lying. Um, he hates everything about you and your life. <laughs> never driving. get gas there. Get gas in Quartzsite. It's like always at 3 $4 cheaper. So there you go. So uh, the list lie, I will say, is a couched caveat here for lie number six. Insofar as it was at the end of the list... But the joy of this is, is if anyone had been paying attention to my previous episode, you will have known that Ozzy Osbourne's Suicide Solution was not actually a song on the Filthy 15. That was a lie I used in the episode when I was displaying it, and I called it back here to see if anybody was going to have been uh, paying attention. So technically, it's part of a list, but... It is a callback lie more than anything. Listen, so. Shane, man, we've already established that I don't remember when I have said stuff before. I know. <laughs> so how am I supposed to remember when you've said something? I apparently had the exact same conversation about the ACDC metal thing. Still don't have a cl- yeah, yeah. Don't have a cl- yeah. don't recall that in the slightest. It's okay, I- <laughs> we'll have it again. Indeed, a third, fourth, <laughs> next fifth episode. Time. We'll you get know, there. You laugh about that, Michael. Give it a few weeks. I'll forget this moment, and then ACDC will come up and. Metal and I'll be like, I don't think ACD's metal. And you go, oh dear. Was ACDC <laughs> actually again. a part of that episode? So uh, the song that was actually on the list instead was Venom's Possessed. That was the oh well, that's a good choice. Song. That, that makes Possessed. sense. Yeah. Indeed, uh, I'm a big fan of Def Leppard's High and Dry personally, but uh, that's me. So there you go. Those were the six lies in the midst of a significant amount of nonsense that was occurring here. And that takes us through the first 17 pages of my 23. And so next week, West Memphis 3 to bring the hasty conclusion to my discussion of the satanic panic. Part of the year. (laughs) Thank you. Um... Well, actually, it doesn't have anything to do with this current episode. I suppose we can wait till an after dark. I was just curious because we touched on Dick Tracy last yeah. time. Mm. If you had a 
stop to visit to no 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 i was busy trying to find gainful employment and then going and getting myself stuck with needles and uh you know all the other nonsense that occurred so no i have not had an opportunity as uh life has found a way to throw itself in front of me at this point so unfortunately uh, a lot of circumstances not the least of which being that uh, yesterday was Maisie's birthday so Aww. yeah it was a grand old time in the the good old household here so uh, i've been distracting myself with other things i i realize like when i need to feel comfort when I am thrown out of my general rhythms, like an easy sign is I watch way too much Tarantino. So I watched like Django Unchained three times, started watching like Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood today. So I, I realize that's my way that I try to find equilibrium as I go back and start watching a significant amount of Tarantino. So I was lost in the wasteland there, but I will spend a little time and uh, investigate some Dick Tracy. Okay. Yeah. Well, we should end on an upper note there. I can can end on a funny story that uh, when I was a kid and going through Blythe, because there is a reason why you would stop in Blythe, and that is because there is a Denny's in Blythe, California. Give it. So, um, and this actually (laughs) deals with my first car that I ever got, a 2001 Chevy Malibu. That year... When my parents got it brand new, we decided to take a trip out to California. And because it was 2001 and me and my sister were fairly young and needed to entertain ourselves for a six, seven hour drive, my parents decided to shell out a little money and get a a portable VHS player that had a little uh, little monitor, which was like five inches, you know, like diagonal so it was tiny shit but that shit like you plug it into a car you don't need a battery greatest thing ever but it was great yeah so this is what this is the time where i actually learned that i can get motion sick if i stare at a screen for too long especially if it's a very tiny one so we stopped in Blythe, california which is right on the border of california and arizona and had breakfast because we're one of those families that if we're doing a trip we leave really fucking early so that we get most of the way through before lunch so I had strawberry waffles at uh, Denny's. Absolutely fantastic meal. Who who doesn't love that as a kid, you know? So I ate that, scarfed down as quickly as I could, and we got back on the road for another three, four hours of driving. We got into L.A. because we were going to Disneyland, Disneyland. Um, and, or Denny-land, uh, on, if you were. Or Denny-land. And on the freeway near the exit to where we were going, I got incredibly motion sick. And so I saw the strawberry waffles go in and I saw the strawberry waffles go out all over the back of her (laughs) uh, brand new car uh, that I eventually inherited. Uh, We pulled over to the side of the road, which on a freeway in California, some of them don't have shoulders. So it was a very tight squeeze. Um, Tried to get some of it off, but I was caked on. We got there at around noon. Our check-in wasn't until three. So my parents, in an act of desperation, kind of paraded me into the front lobby so that the uh, you know the people checking in people would take pity on us, and they did. They let us uh, check in three hours early so I can get a shower. And for the next three or four years, on very very hot days, if you sit in that back seat, oh. you would have the faintest whiff of strawberry, the faintest. 
Sir, uh, and that, yeah, so that's also and, why I don't really like Blythe, California. Yet you don't believe in spiritual energy, but you believe that the smell of strawberries regurgitated by a human being can endure in a, like car upholstery for years. I mean, if it cakes in it, if it goes in deep enough, <laughs> sir, that I story think it would be was rancid. A, that story was a grand slam. <sighs> sounded more like moons over my hammy to me, but that's oh. <laughs> my interpretation. There was a lot of there was a lot of hammy. Uh, I yeah. one of my favorite Denny's moments. There have been myriads of them in the course of my life. If we just did like an all Denny's after dark, I'd be here for an hour and a half. But uh, <laughs> one of my first and fondest memories of going to a Denny's is all of my family was up in Phoenix. We were, it's always, it's strange how we do that in reverse because we, you know, come down from the White Mountains to go up to Phoenix. But, uh, we were visiting family there and we were not going to have the traditional Thanksgiving meal with anybody. We didn't want to interrupt. So we all went to Denny's to have the Thanksgiving meal. Now, being the uh, pickiest eater of the group and somebody who does not tend to give way to anything that's traditional, I ordered a club sandwich because I'm like, hey, it's at least turkey. I, I still covered the bases, but I'm going to get what I want because that sounds delicious. Everyone else at the table ordered the Thanksgiving meal from Denny's and the turkey was abysmal. Everybody was absolutely disgusted. I'm sure if they did not regurgitate, they wish they would have. And I had one of my favorite experiences just enjoying my club sandwich and my French fries and watching everybody else be miserable because they <laughs> held to the tradition when they were at Denny's, which you should never do. Don't do that. Just get what you no. want. Well, yeah, just uh, it's Denny's. Yeah. Just to chime in, I suppose on my own, then I have the, just the faintest quick story for Denny's myself. You served was, eggs to Stone Cold Steve Austin while no, you were a line cook at the Denny's. I no, remember. That was an IHOP. Thank you. Cafe crepe. Uh, never worked at Denny's. No, <laughs> Cafe but, uh, crap. but, uh, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, not when I was working there, but I can't attest to it now. Well, Chloe two times can. <laughs> oh, she was my general manager. Blasted in the ass. Oh. I managed her. Uh, mm. but <laughs> Hazelnut spread? No. Nutella. Uh, there, was, there was some crepe batter being had for sure. A little baby uh, batter, a little uh, crepe uh, batter. Uh, <laughs> uh, just don't know what you were doing with that little wooden spatula thingy. You gotta oh, flip it. It's yeah, well, you gotta dunk it in water, get it a little wet, basically, before you swirl uh, it around. Good luck with that, fuckwit. It's easy when you look like this, sir. Easy. <laughs> All right, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was with the Denny's thing. It was um, that actually just happened to be the place that uh, Elda and I went to uh, just before Cordelia was born because uh, we had to go to the hospital, and so we just she was conceived in. at the Denny's. She wasn't conceived at the Denny's. She it was, was the last born. meal we had before she like we went to the hospital, and it was like nope you're gonna have the baby now we're gonna go ahead and do this so it's like i we went to the denny's and was like well what what to have here and i was like you know what what the heck i'm gonna get the t-bone steak at denny's just because who who orders a steak at denny's mm. why not and so it's just it's a memorable meal just because it was something that we had and then it wasn't supposed to happen like cordelia come in as early as she did and then it was just oh going to the hospital oh never mind we're staying here now and the, she's on her way so uh, that was kind of Denny's is prominent in my head there, too, just because it was an yeah. unexpected meal to go to. From the way that the uh, story started out, I thought you were going to be like, her water broke and I took her to the Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's tradition. <laughs> so we're doing the Lamas in the corner of the bench. Just 
<laughs> We're going to go soon, honey. The, the order's almost ready. My biscuits and gravy aren't here yet. <laughs> the, ah, they forgot the butter. Just give it a second. They're on their way. Do you want I want toast? another cup of coffee. They're remaking the pot. Don't worry about they it. They don't have decaf. I mean, what sort of cretins are they here? <laughs> don't even have crepes. What sort of establishment is this? Does Denise not have crepes? IHOP does nowadays. I mean, well, IHOP. IHOP is ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Don't get me started. IHOP is ridiculous. Oh, here he it's goes. way too expensive. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I guess that will put a pin in our uh, nearly two-hour-long discussion here before we finally get out. But thank you all for being here as per usual. Hopefully you're down for a little more devilry as we get into next week's discussion. But if you enjoyed what happened today, please let us know. Rate, review, like, subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. And naturally, you can engage with us anywhere you'd like on all of our defunct social media. Or just comment on some YouTube clips. There's plenty of them available. We have new episodes winging your way if you're happy last Friday, so you can find us there. If you want to know how to do so, there there is a link tree down in the show notes that'll take you to all of our pages. You can explore and peruse there. Michael will tell you to like, subscribe, you know, hit that uh, like button there. Ping it. Yep. Smash mm -hmm. it. Tap Ping it. it. Wreck it. <laughs> I'm gonna wreck it. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, uh, we're, we're gonna officially crepe our way out of the door here. We hope that you all had a delightful time. We will see you later on. See you on the flip side, if you will. Ah! all of you crepe creators out there so for the disinformed podcast this week i'm shane they're michael <laughs> i'm doc oh, oh, i'm michael get your eskimos zip zoop right here get the chopper